You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon uh, on you. Welcome once again another drive time show in Voice of Islam. You are listening to Anik, uh, who will be uh, presenting uh, today's show, and uh, <clears throat> very. A great weather outside uh, was dry today and uh, indeed uh, we are always uh, looking this kind of weather in this country. Today the topic which we will be uh, covering today is going to be uh, very interesting topics. One is related uh, to Syria, a, forgot- a forgotten crisis, what happened, how people have forgotten about it. And uh, what actually happened and how, you know, people faced so many difficulties uh, in Syria. And we will be discussing the conflict which occurred. And in the second hour, we will be covering another interesting topic, which is the need of the time. uh, And, uh, you know, the youngsters have to reflect upon. And the topic would be the religion and young people. In today's show, our listeners who are listening with us, they are joined with us. They can contact us through www.voiceofislam.co.uk and they can call us as well on 0208-687-7878 and they can also tweet on at Voice Islam UK. Eleven years ago, the Syrian civil war began and went on the escalate into a conflict affecting the rest of the world. It claimed many innocent lives and displaced a huge amount of Syrian people. This also impacted the politics of other nations, particularly in the West. And we see that no war, wherever it occurred, whether it was Syria or it occurred before that, World War One, Two, or any other conflict which occurred between two countries or within a country, it left the country with destruction. Whole country was destroyed. Innocent people died. Many innocent souls, many Innocent children died and those who left behind, they were left behind without their family. And ultimately, the misery they had to face, you cannot even, you know, explain that. What they felt when they were all alone. The children, you can merely say their ages, their ages, maybe very young age till... 18, 15, when they can be independent, they left alone. There was nobody for them to take care of. And they have faced all the destruction, the circumstances, and at the end, they were left alone. And still, there are many who are going through this phase. And we see in the war, in the history, that war is never a solution of anything. 
war always bring destruction a peace can can only be attained through dialogue through discussion through sitting and discussing what the matter is and how we can you know uh get over it back in 2019 during the peace symposium his holiness mirza masood ahmed may allah be his helper remarked and i quote he said over almost a decade syria has been ravaged by bloodshed and torn asunder it is said that the civil war is now edging towards an end but what has the past displacement of millions of others and hazur said but what has the past decade achieved except the death of hundreds of thousands of innocent people and the displacement of millions of others nothing positive has emerged and the future remains uncertain and precarious as tensions rise between nations who have their own vested interest tied into the future of syria now that we are in another conflict everybody know that russia and ukraine they are in conflict and because of that we have forgotten you know or you know have we forgotten the plight of syria that what happened how the destruction occurs when two nations fight with with with, with each other when they do not solve their problems with dialogue when they are ready to attack each other and that war that conflict takes so many innocent lives and leave the country with destruction and that's where we are seeing in russia and ukraine we have to learn from the history we have to understand that nothing positives positive come out through these conflicts and the day we learn this the day we will have peace within the in the entire world sometime we have to <clears throat> you know focus in your own countries we have to be grateful whatever we have within the country rather than looking to other countries what they have and try to get their uh uh you know money or their wealth and if we want to show the power and it's not very inappropriate way to show the power that we start a nation start you know attacking the other country and leave the country with destruction and people and children without their families and they have to you know go to other countries and find shelter and when they move and when they go to other countries they face you know many problems over there as well so today we will discuss this topic uh in detail we will be having uh guests who have very good insight in syria that what happened what should have done and what can be done now for them and how they see the you know the the war or the conflict occurred in syria we will be you know shortly listening to our guests and they will be giving us insight that 
what actually happened. If we just a little bit, I uh, briefly touch uh, that what happened is UNICEF reports that the decade-long conflict has negatively altered children's health, nutrition, water, sanitation, education, and social protection. Even now that the conflict has toned down, new challenges are facing the countries on top of the previous consequences of warfare. And uh, we see that this year, in September, there was cholera outbreak affecting more than 30,000 people across the country. Children and adults still face the fear and danger of living near explosive, you know, remnants. And uh, according to the Save the Children, they say that 22 people died in the last four months due to landmines. Even now, the country is sadly attacked from different places, even once in a while, resulting in needless casualties. And uh, <clears throat> loss to the countless families. The scars of the war are both physical and mental and emotional on citizens. And indeed, you know, as I mentioned before, they are still facing that. They are still, you know, the remains are there. Emotionally, they were disturbed. Physically, mentally, the effect of war is still there. And they're still facing many uh, difficulties. As I mentioned, they are still, uh, you know, people are dying because of landmines. There are attacks here and there. Sometimes Turkey is attacking, just protecting their borders. Similarly, uh, Israel doing the same thing. So they are still living in the same fear. Right now, <clears throat> we have another, you know, my co-presenter on the phone as well. I welcome him in the show as well. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Tariq. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you very much. Peace be on you and all our listeners. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite an uh, important topic. I think some mm. people is one a bit behind because of the other things happening around the world uh, today. But the, the the Syrian crisis, of course, is, is something which is very important. It's, uh, still, ongoing people are suffering, and it has been uh, a crisis for a long time. And uh, particularly when it started, it was uh, given an importance because it was. Uh, uh, particularly uh, important because uh, of the mention of some of the prophecies that uh, the, the possibility of a, a war starting, uh, you know, which was prophesized beforehand. Uh, it was mentioned that it could be the Syria, which would be the center of the war. And uh, if we uh, observe it at uh, the current situation of the world, uh, there's so many uh, sort of... Uh, uh, wars taking place at the moment and uh, people have a particular attention toward the ukraine and the russia war um, but this you know the syrian crisis has not ended it's still there people are suffering um, there are after effects of the war as well as uh, you know still um, things are going on people are suffering there are after effects of the war of those who have suffered during this war as mm. well 
uh, yeah, lots of people like uh, nowadays they are uh, going through the emotional um, sort of uh, um, suffering, that's anxiety, fatigue, sleep disorders. People, uh, particularly those uh, who have suffered with disabilities, and they are being they're suffering. There's a lack of the basic facilities. Um, people are afraid of the landmines which have been there. There have been casualties because of that. And uh, also, you know, the people have lost their dear ones and they oh. are, and that they are suffering um, the pain of that as well at the moment. True, true. Uh, you know, so to discuss this further, uh, we have our first guest with us, uh, Professor Joshua Landis. Um, uh, Professor Joshua is Director and Center of Middle East Studies and Frazana Family Center at University of Oklahoma. I welcome him in the show. Peace be upon you, Professor. Well, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum I hope you're doing well. I am doing very well. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you know, the first question I would uh, like to ask you, the peak of Syrian civil war might be over, but the country is still not completely safe. Could you tell us a little bit about what is current situation going on over there? Well, the the country is in terrible shape, as your previous mm. speaker mentioned. It's divided into three sections, mm-hmm. about uh, 65 percent of the country is ruled by President Assad and Damascus, mm. supported by Russia and Iran. Another 25 percent is ruled um, by a Kurdish militia, Kurdish-led militia, mm. that's supported by the United States. That's north of the Euphrates. And the third section is dominated by Turkey and the Sunni Arab rebel groups that have been pushed up into that section. So. Mm. The country is very divided. All three of these groups are in competition against each other. And uh, there are terrible sanctions uh, on Syria. That means that about 90% of Syrians now live under the poverty line. Electricity comes to the region uh, about an hour to hour and a half a day, which makes life very difficult. My, For example, one example I can give you is that in my wife's family mm-hmm. um, they get electricity about an hour and a half a day and that means the refrigerator doesn't work mm-hmm. um, so they have to go to the market uh, at, at a certain time of the day in order to get chicken for example uh, because the butcher can only cut it up at a very particular time he doesn't have a refrigerator and people have to go and get the fresh meat it makes life um, extremely difficult mm-hmm. for everybody and, and people are negotiating these, you know, terrible situations. And, and trade has come to a, you know, a halt. And it's very hard to restart a, um, a real economy in the country. True. Uh, what do you think that they are struggling to come out of this situation? Well, um, they need stability, which is the most important factor. Mm. And that, um, you know, Turkey just this last week threatened to invade northern Syria, where the Kurds and the U.S. are dominant. Uh, It has blamed the Kurdish group, the YPG, which is the main faction that America supports, of being responsible for the latest explosion in Istanbul that killed six Turks and wounded another um, 
a few dozen. And uh, and so they they're threatening to attack. They've been bombing northern Syria since um, for the last 10 days. They've killed about 80 people there and wounded many more. So it, this constant situation of turmoil and conflict uh, between these three different sectors of Syria um, leads to great instability and, and nobody's willing to invest and people are constantly frightened. Yeah, true. But is there anything can be done? You know, the neighboring countries to assist them as Syria is still in need in aid. What kind of aid they need? What kind of, you know, the dialogue they need to do? Uh, what? Well, the international uh, community is giving some aid. But mm. at the same time as they give aid to the most needy, mm. um, there are crushing sanctions that are imposed on Syria by the West. Mm. And this... This means that neighboring countries cannot trade with Syria or open um, factories because if they do business with any government agency, which the United States has designated as a terrorist uh, organization, mm. they will they can be sanctioned by the West. So the West not only has direct sanctions on Syrian leadership and various Syrian companies, but it has sanctions on anybody who does business with them. So, and it's targeted, these sanctions are targeted against the energy uh, industries because um, the United States sees those as, as, as crucial to rebuilding uh, Syria, which it doesn't want, uh, it doesn't want Syria rebuilt until Assad steps down and UN resolutions 2254 are imposed, which mean free elections. So. The United States hasn't given up its um, and the West have not given up their interest in getting a new government in Syria. And until that happens, which it seems very unlikely, um, these economic sanctions have are, are one issue, one element of stifling trade. And it makes it very difficult for neighboring countries to renew relations and for businessmen to invest in Syria. So can you elaborate a little bit more uh, for our listeners that why, you know, the West want to, uh, you know, Assad to step down? Well, uh, they want him to step down because he is allied to Russia hmm. and he's allied to Iran. Okay. He is an enemy of Israel and he um, he is a dictator. So. Hmm. For those reasons, uh, the United States has long been an enemy of Syria. So do you think there's any hope that for Syria to rebuild in, 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 in the near future? Well, in the near future, it's going to be a real struggle. Of course, mm. Syria will rebuild. I think that increasingly Arab countries are renewing relations with Syria, mm. despite this Western boycott. Um, Saudi Arabia has not. Qatar has not. Those are the two countries that are really important, Saudi Arabia most importantly. There was a big move to, re, um, to bring Syria back into the Arab League, which it had been kicked out of mm. at the beginning of the Civil War. Um, but Saudi Arabia put its foot on the brakes um, and is still working with the United States on this. But increasingly, Saudi Arabia has made contact on intelligence uh, and so forth with Syria. And it looks like Syria is regaining 
some allies in the Middle East. Jordan has reopened the relations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Egypt has had relations. Algeria, uh, many other countries. But the the economic collapse of Lebanon, which took place two years ago, it went bankrupt, and the currency has has collapsed, was a real blow to the Syrian economy because most Syrians kept their money in Lebanese banks, and so they lost their money. And this, on top of the civil war, was devastating for most Syrians. Thank you very much, uh, Professor, for joining us today and giving us an insight that what's going on in Syria right now. And uh, indeed, it was a pleasure listening to you. Thank you very much for joining us today. It was a pleasure being with you. Thank you very Bye-bye. much. Thank you. Bye. This was uh, Professor Joshua Lenders. He was the director and center of Middle East Studies and uh, runs a family center at the uh, University of Akulama. And uh, he has given us insight that what uh, is still going on in Syria and uh, what Syria is facing uh, right now. <clears throat> As before, uh, uh, Professor Joshua, we were discussing the scars of uh, the war or, or you know, the f- it was physical and mental and emotional uh, on citizens. And uh, people are suffering uh, from things like anxiety, fatigue and uh, sleeping disorder. And uh, people, especially with the, uh, disabilities, are further burdened with the mobility issues and lack of facilities. Whereabouts uh, of loved ones is another worry that ordinary people have, increasing the pain that the, the, this war has uh, given them. And uh, the fact says that about 2.4 million children are out of schools. So the effects of war uh, are far from over. And economically, the country is still not stable and uh, recovery has been slow, as uh, the professor has mentioned as well. The task of rebuilding Syria is, um, of course, lengthy and demand very high budget uh, to rebuild once again the Syria as it was before. And unfortunately, as uh, you have listened, the current situation uh, doesn't you know, seem uh, promising that the rebuilding will be uh, you know, soon in future. And uh, because of that, the poverty, there's, there's nothing, you know, but children are not going to school and children have very little choice but to labor and earn and, uh, you know, eat. And due to crisis, the food pricings are continuing to rise. And according to the Security Council report, there are a fuel shortage facing the nation as well. Water is very less in the area, adding to the issue of nutrition and hygiene. And uh, in terms of government, it is still unstable and no real improvements have been made. And we can only imagine, in part, what it must be like to navigate in such desperate situation. Even inside the country, 6.9 million people are displaced. So the situation, you know, the Syria is facing, it's very, very harsh and difficult and uh, very innocent people have have faced them, they are still facing it and uh, uh, of course the nation need to sit down and find the solution for the country, for the people who are still living in there, the innocent, the children they are facing the circumstances uh, they, the, the nation yes, even yes. those who have come out of Syria um, uh, you know, and this is for the world to, to uh, sort of uh, ponder upon that, you know, what is happening to those people. And True. if we look at 
statistics, what is happening to the, those people who came out, and there are, are like estimated about 6.8 million mm. refugees uh, who have come out to, from Syria. And the vast majority of them, they were given a second home by Turkey, and uh, I think that's a, uh, a good thing that, uh, you know, the Turkey was uh, one of the one of those countries who were welcomed uh, the Syrians who were suffering and about 3.6 million people they they were uh, sort of uh, given refuge uh, by Turkey and Lebanon and Jordan Iraq and Egypt they also took uh, si- took in a significant number of Syrians uh, fleeing the war uh, other notable countries were like uh, who were hosting large numbers of Syrian refugees in Europe uh, are of course Germany and Sweden. Unfortunately, many Syrian refugees have had to endure uh, horrific treatment even after escaping the war. You know, you know, they, they came out, but still, obviously, uh, once you leave your home, you have to suffer. Uh, although, you, you know, the, the first thing is that you are already suffering because the loss you have, you have left your home. You have all the facilities at home. You have all the, you know, basic infrastructure where you feel safe, you feel at home. And you have to suddenly leave that. And then with your families, with your children, with your, you know, when you come out, you don't know how you are going to be treated by a, a different country. Uh, every country has their own principles, their own policies, the, the way they, they treat you. And uh, this is in itself a very traumatizing experience that you have uh, abruptly been relocated and uh, um, that creates a, a lot of uh, difficulties because the f- the first thing is is sort of you know, uncertainty where are you going are you going to be welcome what are what are what is going to happen even you know one can imagine that even even if you have a small journey and you leave your home you know what happens to do um, you? Yeah, do you? You're not very comfortable, even if you you're in, in maybe in the in the best of the hotels and and uh, you have you know all the facilities there. But when you leave home, you are you are suffering. So, but these people they have suffered loss. They have lost their dear ones. They have seen the bloodshed. They have seen uh, their um, relatives, their dear ones, suffering in the war. They have lost many of them. They lost contact with them as well, and uh, all these people, when they come out, then the uh, the one thing they face is the language difficulties because um, many of them they may not be uh, you know wherever they are going they may not be uh, knowing the language of that particular area or particular country, and that is a big difficulty you face. And then uh, also uh, you know those who are students, the children, and those who are in jobs. Obviously, you you need to find a job, and uh, you might not find a suitable job according to your uh, your qualifications and uh, whatever you know you you had achieved in your country. Again, uh, Europe also sadly endured some terrorist attacks and in in turn stigmatized uh, refugees. This is uh, uh, this is something sad that you know not everywhere people uh, welcome the refugees. Not not thinking about what these people have suffered from, and um, of course uh, the Ahmadiyya community, uh, our uh, worldwide leader, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, who is the 
and our fifth caliph as well, Mela, be his helper. He addressing the responsibilities of the refugees seeking shelter. Um, he explained and he said that the refugees escaped their previous lives in search of peace. And so now, having been granted shelter and security here, it is incumbent upon them to live here peacefully and to abide by the laws of the land. All immigrants should remain entirely faithful to their adapted nation and should use all of their abilities to help their country uh, advance and prosper. So he has given, um, not only he has uh, reminded of the responsibilities of those who are uh, welcoming these refugees, but he has also pointed at the responsibility of the immigrants, those who have come, that you know, if they adopt, if they have come to a country and they've adapted a new country, then they should be loyal to that country and they should help <clears throat> the in the progress and development of the, the country they have come to. And uh, though most of the refugees they have made a concerted effort to settle in well, this is an important message of being grateful to the people who have given, uh, who have been given a safe place to stay. So <clears throat> equally, um, uh, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, Hazrat Nizam Masur Ahmad, uh, he drew our attention towards welcoming and helping those who have had to leave their homes and settle somewhere else. And he said that all genuine refugees should be helped by governments and international organizations they should be allowed to settle until peace is restored in their home countries. However, it is also important that the authorities remain vigilant and monitor the refugees to ensure the extremists are not allowed to settle under the guise of asylum. <clears throat> so, so this is this is happening to 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 people who have come out of their country and they have settled in in different countries to some extent. And of course, uh, um, th this, this is a process which, which takes time. And, and uh, over the period uh, which, has, uh, which has gone through, we have seen that people in various countries, they are gradually, they are slowly adopting themselves. But still, we, we see that we don't see that uh, any in the near future we don't see people going back to their own country because um, the circumstances are such that uh, we don't see that 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 is happening um, not particularly very soon and uh, Bashar al-Assad he's uh, continuing to run the country and he was re-elected with the majority last year and uh, Syria has largely been forgotten yet and the fight there is still continuing There's still people uh, you know there there is no peace still in recent times russia and turkey they have been involved in this uh, in this matters and the united states has stepped away from this conflict for the most part of course and in recent days syria has also suffered from air raids uh, and reportedly by turkish forces which is rather strange uh, Turkey has said that it's trying to protect the southern border, which they share with Syria. And there were also Israeli air attacks in the last few weeks as well. Syrian forces are being uh, backed by Russia, who have attacked uh, rebel-held places. 
And uh, uh, geopolitically, the region is still engaged with, uh, with a number of countries continuing to have an impact on their politics. And internal politics is also not stable, and Syria lacks funds for rebuilding. See, this is one thing, uh, you know, the, the word, you know, wherever there is war, the, the war, um, the consequences of war is that there is destruction, destruction um, in the, uh, there is hindrance of the development of the people, of the progress of the people, the progress of the country, and then there is a destruction and to rebuild that country, of course, um, they do not have enough, uh, sometimes enough funds, sometimes enough resources, uh, and you need stability, you need peace before you start rebuilding the country. And here, the circumstances are not such that you, we can quickly um, uh, foresee that, 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 that they are going to rebuild the country soon. The Kurdish fighters are, are still prevalent in the country, and the rebel groups also rise uh, every now and again. And moving on in a positive direction has <clears throat> not easy for the government and the president as well. Yeah. So in various ways, yeah. Syria has ignored in recent times and focus has shifted despite needless casualties. Absolutely right, Dr. Saab. Um, uh, now uh, we will uh, go to our next guest, uh, Professor Don Chetty. Uh, Professor Don is Amrita Professor of Anthropology and Force Migration, a social anthropologist whose ethnographic interests lie in the Middle East. I welcome Professor Don Chetty. Peace be upon you and thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. Uh, Professor, the first question I would like to ask you, you know, the lives of many Syrians and their loved ones was alter altered by the war. How big is the issue of displacement in this region and what needs to be done about it? Well, first I should perhaps say that half of the population of Syria mm. has been displaced since 2011-2012. Mm. So, uh, before the armed conflict began, there were 22 million Syrians in the country. And now what we see is that there are 11 million who have either been internally displaced, that's about 5 million, but mm -hmm. 6 million have fled across borders and are largely um, being tolerated, or I'm going to say being given sanctuary in the neighboring countries of Turkey, Lebanon, and Jordan. So it's a massive issue, but uh, not only for Syri not only Syrians, but you know, more than or close to 50% of the world's um, displaced uh, people, uh, refugees, asylum seekers, actually come from the region, from Syria, from Iraq, from Afghanistan, um, just to, to name a few. And this is uh, represents nearly half of the burden of the UN Agency for Refugees, UNHCR, of their uh, particular mandate to look after. What can be done? That's, uh, that's the question everybody's asking. First, mm -hmm. the armed conflict needs to be resolved. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the Syrians, um, you know, they, there's a tendency to think that they've all tried to come to Europe. It's, it's really very few, you know, in percentage-wise, um, uh, less than 10% of those displaced have tried to come to Europe, mostly middle-class, skilled individuals who are trying to use their skills in order to provide for their families. So 
you know, most Syrians, whether they're on the border or whether they've actually come to Europe or even to the United States, I know that from some interviews I've done, are waiting for the chance to be able to go back once they feel that it's safe to go back. But given that the government is the same, uh, all of the security agencies, you know, I'm going to say the regime, uh, are the same, the government still uh, puts forward a position that um, there is no compromise in negotiations. So until the Syrian government, uh, perhaps with weakening support from, from Russia and Iran, begins to realize that it needs to make some concessions, it's hard to see how many Syrians will be able to go back. True. Uh, you know, what is life like for those who did remain in Syria and are witnessing its current state? Well, life is very difficult in the country. You know, as mm. you know, the economy has collapsed. Um, for a while, some of the middle-class Syrians were managing because there has been always a long tradition in Syria of uh, banking uh, in Lebanon. So after 2019, uh, when the Lebanese currency collapsed, of course, that also mm. made life very, very difficult for middle-class Syrians. Um, I think what, what uh, you know, the price of food, the price of fuel, uh, skyrocketing, um, really only those uh, people and those businessmen very closely associated with the Assad family uh, are doing very well and are getting wealthier and wealthier, which is what you normally see when a war economy takes hold. Um, I do know from from some of the uh, you know the the middle class skilled families who remained who I speak to quite often on WhatsApp that uh, they are quite staggered to realize that uh, because they have relatives abroad who send remittances mm. that they are probably in you know the top five percent of people in the country who are managing you know to carry on because they depend upon these remittances for, from abroad. But otherwise, life is extremely difficult for those who have remained in Syria. And uh, it's hard to see how it's going to become better. You know, that there are sanctions in place that are, it's a very, very kind of rough tool to use um, that prevent uh, a lot of uh, reconstruction. Um, there are uh, real questions about how... Um, the UN manages um, its contracts to provide humanitarian assistance in the country. Uh, there are some very interesting reports that have emerged from the Middle East Institute in Washington which show that there's lack of transparency, there's a lot of corruption, and um, certain families uh, are becoming extremely wealthy even in this kind of provision because they can, the, the UN can only deal with those companies and individuals that the government of Syria approves. And of course, that's a very, very small number. So somehow rules need to be changed so that there's greater accountability, so that a wider range of businesses can be involved in reconstruction and humanitarian aid. Um, it's a really, really critical situation at present. Indeed, uh, indeed. You know, for those who managed to flee the war, the impact of that oil remains. How has the you know crisis extended to the refugees? Well, you have to consider, for example, that the number of Syrians who've taken refuge in Jordan, uh, as figures vary, sometimes they say 600,000, sometimes they say 1.2 million. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably closer to 600,000 because there were already 600,000 Syrians in Jordan. I mean, the two countries, their populations are very close together. Uh, you know, you only have to think about the 
the end of World War One and the mandate which split, split this entire area into these different states. Um, so in Jordan, you have somewhere near 10% of the population of Jordan is made up of refugees from Syria. When you go to Lebanon, it's close to 25%. So the one out of every four people is um, somebody seeking asylum from Syria. Mm. And when you go to Turkey, which has a population very similar to Germany, you have to think that Turkey has four million Syrians, mm-hmm. whereas Germany only took one. So Turkey has four times the number of Syrians that have been accepted into into Germany. The situation is critical. All of these countries have very, very large informal markets that uh, Syrians have entered into as a way of trying to provide for their families. Um, but that makes their life very liminal because that means that they don't have necessarily permits to work, um, but they do what they can in order to support their families. So um, it's a liminal existence. Uh, they can be faced with um, deportation. Um, we sometimes talk about reformment. We know that that's been happening in Jordan, people being forced across the border to go back, which is against international law. Um, and they talk about the same in uh, Lebanon. They've done the same in Lebanon. There have been a few hundred thousand that have been forced across the border because uh, there is a policy that declares that Syria is safe uh, just because there may not be fighting in the region. But most Syrians who fled, they fled not only because they might have been directly in areas of armed conflict, but they fled for fear of the intelligence agencies, of being picked up for interviewing, for questioning, maybe being disappeared. We know that more than half a million Syrians have fallen into that category. So for those who have um, uh, fled, uh, return um, is something that they all seem to be wishing for, but it's still quite critical um, because... um, in none of the bordering countries do they really have what I'm going to call temporary protection, the right to work until it's safe to return, even though with the Jordan Compact, uh, an agreement was reached that um, up to 200,000 work permits would be issued to Syrians, but only in agricultural and construction industry. And you have to remember that Syria was a middle-income country. Many of those who fled are skilled uh, professionals, Mm-hmm. but they're not being allowed to work in their professions. And it's these skilled professionals that often look for ways of then finding asylum in the West where with some um, additional uh, training they can use their profession either you know, in, in medicine or in nursing or in mechanics or in IT, etc., etc., uh, because they cannot use the, their skills in the neighboring countries where they are. And that's, that's true, yes, they have to basically once again study a bit, isn't it? Uh, you know, one thing, uh, would you like to, you know, just tell our listeners that what is the situation of the refugees are in, you know, Germany or in, in Turkey or in other countries? Well, it's really, it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, the situation in Turkey is perhaps uh, not as bad as in Jordan and in Lebanon, um, even though we may be against some of the policies of Erdogan, um, the country as a whole has provided health care and also education into higher education for refugees from Syria as long as they register, but they don't have to register as refugees because, of course, the, the Turkish government doesn't regard them as refugees. It regards them as displaced Syrians. 
a certain number have been able to gain Turkish nationality uh, or citizenship, although they don't lose their Syrian citizenship, so they've been able to vote. Um, they're engaging in business. Um, and um, although in the first few years, many of the Syrians who I talked to didn't want to learn Turkish, many of them now, they are learning Turkish, especially the younger generation, so that they can go to university. Um, and uh, um, so the situation is not as bad as in Lebanon, where they can't be engaged in sort of any occupation, they have no access to education. Uh, and in Jordan, the access to higher education is very limited, has to be paid for. The situation in Germany is very, very interesting. You know, Germany accepted in the end 800,000 Syrians um, uh, in 2015. A number of studies have emerged to show that um, these Syrians very rapidly uh, were granted um, asylum, the right to remain, mm. so they were legalized. Uh, many of them very quickly have moved into work, into occupations, and a couple, of se several se uh, reports have emerged to show that the Syrians have, uh, within three or four years, rather than five or six years, already begun to contribute significantly to the German economy, because they... Uh, I, I should have said before, Germany um, only requires um, asylum seekers uh, to refrain from working for four months, during which time they hope they, they very rapidly assess their papers so they can start working after four months. In France, uh, that's nine months. In the UK, it's until their case has been heard, which in some cases is two or three years, mm. during which time the asylum seeker is forced to rely on welfare, which also creates a very, very negative, um, what I'm going to say, um, um, circle. Because then you have the, what I'm going to call the extreme right-wing sort of populace saying these people have only come because they want to be on welfare, whereas in fact Syrians are trying to get off welfare and to start mm. working to support themselves as quickly as possible. So I would say the situation in Germany is probably far, far better than anywhere else in Europe. Maybe Sweden comes next because this, the Swedish policy has been, uh, up until very recently, very open, uh, very liberal, um, although they have uh, in recent uh, times cut back on the extent to which family reunification can be used to bring the rest of the family over. Mm. Uh, but every country has a slightly different policy, um, uh, and uh, I think though the one country that you cannot fault is Germany. Yeah, indeed. You know, it would be less burden on the country as well if they are earning their own and, uh, you know, living their lives. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, and, uh, what needs to be done on a humanitarian level to support the victims of the Syrian crisis? Uh, well, uh, you know, in an ideal world, uh, I would say, number one, that the neighboring countries um, need to see the skilled professionals, the doctors and nurses, uh, the mechanics, the lawyers, etc., as people who can contribute to the economy of the, of the country that they're in. Now, Ger uh, Turkey does have a program that allows Syrian-trained doctors to work as doctors along the southern border, but that's not permitted in Lebanon or in Jordan. So the neighboring countries need to also develop a more open policy towards, especially towards skilled workers. But within Europe, somehow we need to um, push back against this fortress Europe mentality, this mentality somehow that refugees are a swarm or, a, mm. you know, uh, a flood 
of people that are going to overrun the country. You know, in 2015, Viktor Orban declared that all of these Syrians were actually Muslim economic migrants, that they were going to transform, you know, the face of Christian Europe as though these numbers could really make an impact on a population of 500 million, which is Mm. the population of Europe. So we need to somehow push back against this populist, xenophobic attitude towards refugees, not just from Syria, from from Iraq, from Afghanistan, from other places, um, and start to see refugees as able to contribute very positively uh, to the economy. Now, it may be an unfair comparison to make, but just recently the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, Mm -hmm. actually issued a report, I think it was in June of this year, uh, saying that we must recognize that refugees do make a significant contribution to the economy. That paper was actually written in order to try to encourage Europeans to be more accepting of refugees arriving from Ukraine. But everything that's written in that paper could apply to refugees coming from Syria, coming from Iraq, and many also coming from uh, from other countries along the eastern Mediterranean. So we, we have to, I think... Um, be more skeptical about what some of the media reports re- regarding refugees, uh, and we need to push back and recognize that uh, you know forced migrants, especially skilled uh, forced migrant workers, um, can make a major contribution to the economies, uh, our economies, um, and uh, we we need to recognize this and move forward. I think maybe Ukraine will be can be used as a positive lesson uh, mm-hmm. in in that particular capacity. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, thank you very much for uh, joining us today and giving us insight uh, uh, for the Syrian people. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. We were listening uh, to Professor Don Chetty, and uh, <clears throat> of course, uh, this topic is it's very interesting, and we need to have a full understanding of what's going on in Syria and how. Uh, you know, or what we, what we can do uh, for them. And, you know, there should always be uh, a way ahead that how, uh, you know, things can be rectified. Uh, as His Holiness Mirza Masur Ahmad, may Allah be his help, stated on one occasion, let it be clear that I am not speaking in support or favor of any particular individual country. What I wish to say is that all forms of cruelty, wherever they exist, must be eradicated and stopped. And again, you know, the teaching of Islam says that if two parties of believers fight against each other, make peace between them, then it after that one of them transgresses against the other, fight the party that transgresses until it returns to the command of Allah. Then if it returns, make peace between them with your kirti and act justly. Verily, Allah loves the just. So nations, regardless they are West or the nation America or other nations, they have to be just. They have to, you know, find a solution. They have to have peace within them so stability stability can be, you know, bring uh, for Syria. Another saying of His Holiness, he says the principle taught by Islam in the following words, he says the time and again, the Holy Quran has instructed Muslim to serve mankind and to fulfill the needs of those who are suffering or are deprived in any way. It requires Muslim to be selfless and consumed by a love for others. It requires us to be 
ever ready to make sacrifices for the sake of the peace and well-being of other people. And for rebuilding, he says, it will be our obligation and duty to strive to rebuild society and to save mankind from further turmoil and sorrow. Indeed, uh, it is our duty to, uh, you know, bring a positive part for this. And the last uh, saying I would read out to our listeners, he says, it is also made clear that all people should be granted equal rights without any discrimination or prejudice. This is the key and golden principle that lays the foundation of harmony between different groups and nations and for the establishment of peace. At the end, indeed, it is the duty of the nations that they have to help them truly. They need to bring peace within Syria for the people who are still alive. Uh, please join us back after the break. We'll discuss the second topic. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessing for Allah be upon you all. And peace be upon all our listeners. <clears throat> uh, thank you very much for joining us back uh, on Drive Time Show in Voice of Islam. You're listening to myself, Anik. And I have joined by uh, my co-presenter, Dr. Tariq Bashwa, and he is with us over the phone. You can call us today on uh, 0208-677-7878, and you can contact us through our email address, www.voiceofslam.co.uk. In the first hour, we have discussed the Syria that what occurred in Syria and how the people are still facing the circumstances of the conflict which occurred in Syria and how, uh, you know, the people have, uh, you know, moved around from their houses and now they are refugees in other countries and people are still living in the country and how they are facing (coughs) the problems. And today's second hour we will be discussing another interesting topic, of course, which is the need of the time, which is religion and young people. There's so many things going on within society, especially for our young people. They are facing, uh, you know, anxiety, mental health problems. They do not find themselves very happy. They are, you know, indulge themselves on different things and the topic we will be discussing today that is you know religion is a solution for them is religion give them or give us uh, the the direction to find peace within ourselves uh, for this topic I would like to request Dr. Tariq Bajwa would uh, can you uh, shed some light upon uh, on this particular topic the religion and young people 
Anik, uh, uh, yeah, it's very, very interesting topic. And I, I think currently the, the religion is something which people are interested in. And um, recently there has been um, some results of the um, uh, the census, which uh, have uh, uh, surprisingly, it has indicated that in UK people, more than 50% of people have uh, actually um, said that, you know, declaring that um, they previously they declared that they were uh, they would identify themselves to be Christians, but the the number has reduced now. So people are not um, uh, the the percentage percentage from over fifty percent has has gone less than to less than that. Uh, I don't have results in front of me, but <clears throat> that's bad. I just uh, read. <clears throat> so the thing is that people, um, you know, the, the interest in religion uh, is more going towards the younger nations. The people, the slightly older people, they, they might not be that much interested in religion. And, and there, of course, there are reasons for that. Uh, that people have gone away from religion. It may be that it is um, the differences between the practice and the claims what the, the, the religious people make uh, they have uh, sort of pushed people away or they have uh, sort of the people have uh, withdrawn from the interest in, in religion but still um, there is a huge uh, there's a lot of um, people still who are interested in religion uh, whatever religion you know one they they were born in so they uh, somehow traditionally they accepted that religion but then, uh, of course, there are minds who think about, um, you know, if they have a creator, and uh, when they are thinking about that, they they try to reach a conclusion whether, you know, whether it is they they either can identify them as an atheist or they have no religion. Most of them they say, well, I was born in a particular religion, but I'm not interested in it anymore. Uh, <clears throat> So the Holy Quran says uh, um, that those who believe and whose hearts find comfort in the remembrance of Allah, it is in the remembrance of Allah that hearts can find comfort. Now this this verse reminds us that you know if one has to uh, be satisfied, to be content, to be at peace, uh, you know, it, the only way is to um, to remember God Almighty, who is the Creator, and. Uh, it is uh, when you understand, when you identify your creator, and then you are also in, you develop a relationship with that, with that creator. <clears throat> and it is particularly the religion Islam has called not only the followers of Islam, but also the other religions that, why don't you come and uh, join together just on the basis that we all believe in one God. And that is that could be the key point where we can all join together and be, be united rather than um, having differences with each other. Of course, we can have differences, but rather than fighting on those relig on, on, on religious differences, we can come together and join uh, ourselves. And that, of course, can be um, a basis of developing peace in the society. That's one of the, the things. So uh, we, we, we are discussing today in particular about the religion and the young people and uh, <clears throat> um, uh, you know, in, in as uh, as Anik has just mentioned that, that there is lots of people. They have 
currently they are suffering from uh, different various uh, mental health crises and and these crises could be um, you know it, it is anxiety it is depression it is it is the questions unanswered which are in the minds of people and many a times they say they don't understand why they are suffering why people are suffering why you know somebody who apparently they they see them as innocent poor people they are suffering even due to the due to the atrocities from the people from the other people due to the calamities which are coming the natural calamities as well and they see them as uh, you know that there's people they, they they don't have any fault what have they done wrong why are they suffering so unless we understand the philosophy behind um the, and and it's only the religion which can explain um what is behind why these uh, you know, why the calamities are coming why is it a punishment is it is it just a normal thing which is a routine thing which is happening or is it something special which we have to think about why is it happening so so many of these questions are answered by uh, islam and that's the, the holy quran tells us you know this is this is the way this is how you can achieve peace and this one verse which i've just read it is it says that those who believe whose hearts find comfort in the remembrance of allah and it is in the remembrance of allah that hearts can find comfort and this verse embodies a great and extremely natural truth the more the people of the world gain the party goods of this life the greater becomes the hunger and the consequent burning of their heart that's because they are never satisfied because these worldly things there is no limit in them and, and one after the other you you achieve one thing and then you have to you know you are you looking for uh, achieving something something uh, more than that uh, and and uh, this this greed never never finishes but as for those who seek god the more they turn to him the greater is their peace of mind this shown uh, this shows that uh, search after god is the innermost yearning of human nature and the real goal of man's life and that when that goal is attained man begins to enjoy uh, perfect peace of mind for then he rest as it were in the very lap of the all knowing or all um, powerful god maker and controller of the universe so <clears throat> so this is this is the secret of happiness uh, if if people knew that you know that they they turn to god and that is where you you find peace and uh, you, not only that you find peace within yourself because if you are uh, if you are at peace uh, within yourself you know you are the ones who create the society so society at large will be um, a society of happiness and society of where where you find peace so all these uh, sufferings the mental suffering that people are going through nowadays particularly the young people the studies have shown that the religion and spirituality can aid young people with such difficulties mm-hmm. and uh, and that's what we are discussing today that how the religion can help the uh, these these mental health problems which people are suffering they might be considered as minor but they there are lots of people particularly we you might have noticed uh, particularly those who are in in the medical field they know that uh, the after effects of uh, covid Uh, when people were like reclined uh, you know not socially they couldn't meet each other they couldn't uh, and there was limitations and that has had a, a lot of effect on people that uh, you know people uh, have suffered after effects and they're coming as uh, being anxious being 
depressed and being, of course, you know, after that, there, there has been a, uh, a big difference now when the people have, you know, the society has opened up a little bit and people can meet each other, they can talk to each other, they can communicate better, they can see each other. That has made a huge difference. But, um, you know, this, uh, a study by the State of Religion and Young People, 2022 Mental Health shows that a majority of all young people, that is 57%, and nearly three quarters of religious young people, 73% surveyed, agree their religious or spiritual practices positively impact their mental health. Many participants, they cite prayer as playing a role in their spiritual practice. 51% said they started praying regularly during the pandemic. And 74% of participants who pray daily, they say they are flourishing compared to 57% who never pray. So the, these are the statistics which indicate that, of course, the religion does does play uh, a part in uh, in our uh, you know everyday life, and uh, it has an effect, particularly on our mental health. Thank you very much uh, indeed, uh, Dr. Tariq Bajwa. Now uh, we will move to our first guest. Our, you know, the first guest is uh, Zina Kula, and she is Mampana mentor and coach. Uh, peace be upon you and a welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very, Thank much. You very much for joining us today. Uh, you know, in today's society, uh, what do you think, what impact does following a religion have on one's life? I think it gives faith. It gives something to work towards. It gives people hope and strength. It certainly did for me. Um, for me personally, it carried me mentally at times where I thought I would never make it through the toughest times. It gave me something to hold on to, a glimmer of hope to be able to work towards that light at the end of the tunnel, if you like. Um, and I feel like this could be an impact that kind of carries forward in in what a lot of people who follow religion may may feel in in difficult times. Um, so yeah, I think in a nutshell, that's really what what impact I think it had on me personally, and it can have on other people's lives. Indeed, you know why is religion important for young people? Well, if not religion, then then what what are we working towards? I mean. Some of my friends and some of the youth today that don't follow a particular religion, they might mm. follow, I don't know, the universe, law of attraction, some sort of energy or force or science. And I don't think any of those options are wrong. I think whatever it is, the belief should be there. As long as it encourages hope, it encourages optimism, it's the positive outcomes that we're looking for. And it helps people to strive towards that better way of living. I mean, isn't that really the purpose of life is to better ourselves, to, to become better humans whilst we're here on earth. Um, and I truly believe that it's important to work towards bettering yourself and religion, I believe, no matter what religion you follow, helps in so many ways in a lot of those areas. Hmm. Indeed, true. Um, how is the youth involved in, uh, you know, in religion activities? Now, right you know, nowadays, we see that how youth are involved in re- religious activities. I think it depends. Um, it depends on the religion and the background and the culture mm. that people are from. In my experience, and from my um, culture, my um, friends and family, a lot mm. of 
there's such a diversity in how it happens. And I don't think there's one right way. Some people prefer to pray in a quiet room. Some people prefer to go to festivities and occasions to celebrate. And some people don't even show it. They just do it in the quiet of their, I don't know, maybe before they go to bed or maybe mm. the first, first thing they do as they wake up. Um, it doesn't need to be something that's shown to the world. It, it can be something that's very personal and something that's done quietly and in your own space and time. Um, and I think that's really important as well because religion is really um, a guideline um, on how to do things, but whether you choose to do it or not, it's entirely up to you. How you choose to do it is entirely up to you. Um, I, as a Hindu myself, mm -hmm. believe in consequence. So whatever you do, there'll always be a consequence to it. Now, that can relate in different ways. That's law of attraction as well. Whatever you give out to the universe, you will receive back. Um, so whatever you choose to do whilst you're on the earth and however you choose to do it, as long as it has good intention behind it, it will never do harm. And if anything, it will improve your life. So I don't think there's one right answer on how the youth integrate into religion. I think so many different ways of doing it it's hard mm. to really pinpoint one way true uh, so what do you think can be done uh, to further integrate youth with religion i think having more open conversations um being accepting of differences different views i think also questioning is very important um i'm in my 30s now and i remember growing up um there was very little answers around I would have so many questions about mm. religion. Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Why do we go here? Why do we do things in this way? Why is this? Why is religion telling me this? And my elders didn't always have the answers, and I would find that very frustrating. Um, but it wouldn't even be open for discussion. It would mm. be, this is the way, this is how we do it. Don't ask me because I don't know. Mm. Whereas I think to encourage more youth to actually embrace religion and integrate within religion those open conversations need to be had and it's okay to question things but why are we doing it i think now for a lot of you uh, because information is so readily available they want to know why they want it to make sense and they want to they're not just going to blindly follow it's going to be a case of them understanding and also respecting, and I feel like if we are to respect their views and their questions, mm. then they will also respect religion in their own way. They'll respect it back. I think it needs to be a give or take. We are very long gone from the authoritarian um, view of religion where the elders tell us what to do and we just do it. Um, I think now for the youth especially, it needs to make sense. It needs to fit into their lives well. It needs to be something that's <coughs> so easy to follow and something that is positive and has a positive outcome. So, yeah. Indeed, you know, the, I understand <clears throat> at the end, in a nutshell, the you know, discussions should be there and, uh, and the answers should be there for, especially for the youngsters. Uh, they, nowadays, you know, the youngsters, they want to understand first and then do something rather than just blindly follow anything. So, yeah. yeah, indeed. Thank you very much uh, for joining us today, Zina, and uh, it was a pleasure speaking okay. with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. We were speaking with Zina Kular, 
uh, she was Mampana mentor and coach and uh, <clears throat> we were discussing uh, the religion and young people that why it's important for our youngsters uh, you know to 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 follow religion and what uh, you know religion gives back to oneself and what you know transformation uh, it, it occurs when you are following a religion and basically ultimately you are you know looking and searching uh, for a being who created everything and who created ourselves especially and why are we here to you know understand more the 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 uh, you know the existence of ourselves on this world are we just merely here just to live our life for uh, 70 80 90 years and just leave this world is there any purpose behind so of course one needs to ponder over this every day and night uh now we're going to move to our next guest uh mona kapoor uh, mona kapoor is clinical hypnotherapist trustee and secretary of uh, arya samaj uh, i welcome her in the show peace be upon you and thank you very much for joining us today hi thank you very much for having me here today and uh, today's topic is really really very important for me because um, i believe religion is uh, the root of our existence and it is the relationship between us and the divine source True. which we call holy and sacred and sometimes we call spiritual as well so the purpose the religion gives us meaning and purpose to our lives and it helps us and it promotes our psychological and physical well-being and motivate people to work for positive and social changes if we follow religion in a righteous way then it spreads peace and love it exhibits deep respect for human life and promotes the virtues of compassion patience mm. and forbearance so according to me i feel that without religion it is very difficult to uh, choose the path and sometimes when i encounter some people because i uh, deals with uh, many people in my workshop and it is difficult uh, for them to connect with any divine source because they mm. don't believe in any religion so then i help them to because they believe what they see because mm. nobody has seen the god so then i help them uh, can you see the sun can you see the moon can you feel the air so you know these are all our divine sources these mm. are unconditional blessings so if you can see sun who is operating sun who is operating moon so there is some kind of force in this universe so we are breathing with a human life who is operating the human life we True. grow we take birth there is a death as well hmm. so where the soul goes then exactly. so there is some some kind of force behind everything so then they understand and then then it is easy for them to connect with some kind of a divine force so i usually don't use the word god i usually the word divine soul hmm. there is a soul of the life you know so in that way then i help them to connect with that source hmm. and learn the teachings because our soul knows all the positivity of our existence everybody knows that we we should not hurt someone everybody knows that we should not hurt someone we should forgive others we should love others we should do things you know that is our purpose of the soul that is our purpose of our existence so everybody knows these things so then where we lack what happened when we heard the 
criminal news is hmm. because there is a disconnection of this divine you know from the soul and the more we will teach each other first is we have to teach ourselves who we are when we know we are the god's child or we are the part of a divine source then automatically we start behaving like a divine source itself because we are god as well when god is in us so we are the god hai na so the teachings reduces civilization we start well you know valuing our own life so then we can say then the alcoholism drugs then because when we are choosing the right path we can stop these type of substance abuses so in this way you know connecting first we should start from ourselves that yes who we are and who is this divine source only then we can help others to connect with the divine source and by you know teaching others compassion forgiveness and mm. gratitude mm. it helps them it can identify life lessons even in that challenging situation so it provides the importance of doing the right thing yeah true. i believe true that that's really true uh, you know as a therapist what impact does uh, staying connected to religion have on one's mental health can you please elaborate this more you know when uh, i connect my participants uh, with the divine source or with themselves so it straight away help them to feel the harmony in their body feel the positivity inside them it fulfills their inner purpose of inspiring and uplifting themselves and straight away they feel as soon as i tell them to connect yourself just feel your breath from where you, you how you are breathing in there is no uh, tool inside you who can but there is some energy who is helping you to breathe so when they feel their breath and when they focus on their breath straight away they feel the mental peace so then i help them to connect with the divine feel the unconditional love that is the soul nature that is our essence to feel the peace and feel the love in ourselves only then we can make this planet a peaceful planet and then slow by slow we can move closer towards our purpose of spreading love and peace indeed um, you know as you have worked with people from different religions mm-hmm. what activities do you think most attract the youth Uh, first of all i believe that you know the first guru of a child is his or her parents because you know from there as soon as the, the child born they start you know teaching the prayers how to do prayers and then they start teaching in a righteous way i, I because sometimes i have seen some parents as well so i don't say everybody teach in a right way sometimes there are superstitions as well in in all the religions so i would suggest if the parents mindfully teach their children from their you know early age and they build up their character they build up they can teach them the stories based on the religion and when the child become adult or uh, become a te- teenager then i i think that you know as a community or as a, in the religious organization we can arrange some weekly or monthly group of youth from different religions and give them a topic for discussion every time like their religion and peace for example or their religion and women religion and education so then when they prepare themselves when they educate themselves to speak in that particular group 
and same time when they learn from other speakers in the group as well that can develop the interest and curiosity in them to learn more so mm. this way we can enhance and we can connect them with the religion and one more thing here i want to add sometimes when the parents push too much or when they compel their children to go uh, towards the religion or to go to the holy holy places even if they don't want to go to sometimes this can cause some kind of clash and damage the youth and parent relationship mm. so at that time they can take the support of some someone outside like religious mentor or a peer mm. which can motivate the youth to invest in those relationships through religious participation you know when in our holy places we have so many events monthly base or over uh, every 6 months yearly so they can then you know invite the youth to help them in the religious events so in this way the young people can have that interest and when they found that you know they they get that appraisal as well so that can strengthen them and existing and relationship with the god and the higher powers to which they are introduced by religious attendance so in this way we can help the young people to connect with the divine source and with the religion. That's absolutely right. And how can we, inst- you know, instill the importance of religion uh, in our youth and how we can, you know, explain them the importance what religion have for us? Uh, you know, our today's youth is very smart and very mm. intelligent. Mm. They only see the things with an open mind. In my mental health workshop, I work with many young people and it is very impressive to see that curiosity in them hmm. they want to know more about their religion and other religions as well and they see all the religions with open mind they have a great sense of respect for the religion hmm. and they do not follow it on the base of any superstitious belief in fact they convince themselves first with the scientific fact and the reasoning behind every ritual and then they follow them so i believe that yes if we teach them about the basic morality of religion like i said first is peace so if if we teach them that as soon as we connect with the divine source with the god that we feel peace if we connect in a true sense yeah to so say to our heart get that peace inside us and then we can feel the unconditional love for ourselves because in this present world of turmoil and constraint Religion can teach us wisdom, a perfect leadership, mm. ideal brotherhood, tender and faithful relationship, sincere devotion towards God, parents, and teachers. So in this way, we can teach them that by practicing more prayers, but in a truly, in a mindful way, like mindful way means whenever, even if, if they can do prayer just for a minute, they are 100% focused on their prayer, on the words, and have a right, right connection with the god so in this way they can have a kind of peace in them a selfless love in them and selflessly they can serve others so we have to teach our children we have to teach uh, the children in the society as well these moralities and religion teaches us the concept of non violence mm-hmm. so we teach our children that love is the essence love is mm-hmm. the root True. And and follow don't follow violence. You know, just follow non-violence. That is the spark of our divine and our recognition. 
then automatically slowly slowly we, it is like you know when we feed our children with food we have to feed them with these thoughts as well so religion teaches us to avoid all the negative emotions like backbiting envy pride egoism boasting insulting others hypocrisy greed in fact there are so many negative anger mm. or taking revenge as well so if we calm our children you know by through the prayers by religious stories so they can they can build up their character we can teach them the compassion forgiveness gratitude which helps them to identify life lesson even in the challenging situation so in this way we can provide the importance of doing right thing even in the difficult situation so like i said you know this this world is a one family if i say so we have to teach our children that we all are brother and sister it doesn't matter what religious background we have so in this way slowly slowly when you know every time even if they uh, heard hear something from outside but do you correct them you know as a, being a parent because if i see my children and if i correct them every time so then slowly slowly i can build up a strong character in them and no storm can disturb them they know how to behave even in the difficult situation so in this way i can say that religion gives them inner strength to protect themselves from the others harmful behavior so i religion can teach them to distance and disconnect themselves from the others because their safety their mental health and emotional health is very very important for them in this way we can help our children by slowly slowly feeding them with all the moralities of a religion yes to um are you with are you with us yeah yeah okay yeah, that is absolutely right uh you know uh, as you mentioned earlier uh mm. you know our physical body need food is similarly you know the soul mm. also need uh a spiritual food which mm. of course yeah. comes through religion one thing i would yeah. like to ask you you know at the end of course you sit down you have a sitting with the different youngsters what mm. is the success rate like how many youngsters you know they they, they of course it, it takes time gradually mm. they come towards religion mm. but what is success rate that uh, that youngsters are moving towards religion you know success rate i can say because in uh, usually we give few sessions so in the first session or if i can say the first three sessions hmm. they just uh, learn hmm. to know something like something new hmm. and then slowly slowly when they adapt when they discuss you know these things with their parents with their family friends then they cultivate the habit then they start because uh, it it can take few months i can say a truly to become a truly religious and spiritual person because i believe in the uh in very in the clarity because i don't believe in superstitions as well mm. so i i suggest them whatever they feel right for them or whatever they feel the, the, right for their family as well follow only those uh, virtues whatever you feel is right for you and whatever your body is telling you because i teach them to listen to your body vibration hmm. so if you are doing something wrong or if you are sensing something wrong or if something wrong happened in your surrounding if you straight away connect with the god and see how you are feeling so in my workshop i teach them practical training straight away connect your breath with the god 
and now see how you are feeling so when you then self find that yes they are feeling calm calm so you know i teach them to practice this technique to make your god your anchor your god and your breath they both are your anchors as soon as you are stuck somewhere just sit down or even if you can't sit wherever you are just focus on your divine and on your breath and feel the calmness so you know by helping them reminding them because they forget as well so it is a kind of practice we teach them again and again again and again they can write things everywhere so it's just to remind them that yes they are not alone god is always watching them always surrounding them so then so when they have a direct connection so we all have a direct connection with our divine source we should be uh, showing our gratitude so show your gratitude more and more feel the love more and more and compassion and mercy so in these way you know when i teach them to you know show the mercy of well, kindness with yourself and then with others so these virtues they slowly slowly absorb and they feel good and when they feel good they follow it so it's a very practical even 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 by listening when we say love i love myself i feel good if i say i have compassion i know my god is watching me so straight away i feel that i'm not alone i'm not alone so that strength you know they automatically feel so even i feel that the power of light is always bigger than the darkness and the god is light mm. and our fears are the darkness so then they choose themselves it is very easy but i have to educate them first so then they automatically follow it yeah true uh thank you very much um uh, uh, monakapur for joining us today and giving us insight uh for uh, this particular topic i was pleasure speaking with you thank you very much thank have a you nice so evening. much thank you for having me here today yeah, thank, thank you. you very much thank bye you. Bye. Bye. bye bye we were listening to monakapur and uh, she discussed uh the religion and uh you know the young people and why it's important for them of course you know it's uh, <clears throat> very important to understand the purpose of coming in this world i sometimes personally think you know uh, when i discuss with uh, youngsters and uh, sit down with my fellow being fellow friends you know everything has a purpose in the life if we see anything if you just go around in the house and let's pick up a pen has a purpose if you there's a sofa there's a purpose you know there's a wood has a purpose you know a plate glass anything you name it has a purpose so when we see ourselves human being if we think that we are created without any purpose then you know it's you know it's it's just uh, merely not pondering over that what is the purpose we have we have been sent with as you know the god almighty has sent us in this world is of course to go there and remember him and follow the religion and follow the teachings the god has given the beautiful teachings for love compassion forgiveness loving each other fulfilling the rights of each other and this is i think the main two things are there the rights of god almighty that you have to basically you know love god almighty search for him and find who your god is who has created you has given you eyes who has given you you know family he has just given you uh, this uh, you know beautiful world we go around we see and we you know see the beauty of god on every uh, you know wherever we go in the world and you know this voice comes from our heart that 
you know, indeed, the maker, the creator of this beautiful, beautiful world must be more beautiful than this. Whenever we see a painting, you know, we praise the painter. So how is it possible that the beautiful world is there? We go around, we see, and, the, you know, the, the, the creator is not there. There has to be a creator. There has to be somebody who's created us, who's created this entire world. The, you know, the air is there. The plane are flying. The train is going. You know, the people are going outside this, you know, atmosphere and going to moon. And there are so many things you can name it. And gradually the, 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 the mind is developing and uh, producing, uh, you know, the, the, the new things every single day. And who has given this us this mind? Who has given us the ability to think it is of course a god and the second thing is fulfill the rights of fellow human beings to love each other to to respect each other to to show compassion towards each other and the day we start doing it the day we will see you know the peace within the within ourselves and within the society god almighty says in the holy quran he says that sibghat allah that one should have a same attribute the same color like God Almighty. As He is, you know, loving, you should be loving. He He is compassionate, you should be, you should show the same compassion as He, you know, He is uh, forgiving, you should be forgiving. As, you know, He provides provision, you should be helping each other out. So basically, ultimately, we have to have a same attribute like God <coughs> Almighty. The day we start doing it, the day we will see the change within ourselves. And the peace, of course, truly comes through God Almighty. The teaching has given us. I will go to Dr. Tariq Bajwa uh, to, you know, to, I would like him to discuss this topic further. And if we can discuss uh, and, uh, you know, uh, tell our present uh, the listeners that what, you know, the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association is doing to bring youth near to religion, near to God Almighty. <clears throat> Well, very interestingly, um, um, the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he has answered to the question, uh, and that's a very basic question. So, you know, we're talking about religion, but what is religion? Yeah, true. So he, he says that it is the path one adopts for oneself. Uh, in reality, everyone has a religion or creed. And an irreligious person who does not believe God exists still has to choose a path to follow, which is, which in a sense is their religion. However, one should stop to think whether the path they have chosen in life truly gives them everlasting happiness, peace, and tranquility. <clears throat> so this discussion should be opposed to those who reject the religion. So religion is only a general word. and it, it, uh, <clears throat> it basically means the path one treads on, and it is not a word that ex exclusively applies to faith. Experts in the arts, science, physics, medicine, astronomy, and any field of knowledge also have uh, canons, doctrines, and beliefs. However, it is, a, it is a certainty that these will not provide salvation to anyone. Just as a soul requires a body and words need meaning, um, so too, too does mankind stand in need of religion. The point here is not whether the being is called Allah, God, or Parmeshwar. Rather, the real issue is how one perceives the being um, um, he calls out to. 
So our view is that whatever name one assigns to the higher being, the real question is how do they recognize and comprehend him? What attributes does that being possess? The actual matter one should reflect on is the nature of the attributes of the divine being. So <clears throat> interestingly, I early, earlier mentioned about a, <clears throat> a recent census of um, you know, the 2021 20, census whose results has been uh, revealed. Uh, and uh, according to this uh, census, the proportion of people who said they were Christian was 46.2%, which is down from 59.3% in the last um, census in 2011. So in 10 years time, so it has reduced, uh, you know, from 59.3 to 46.2%. And in, in contrast, the number who said they had no religion increased to 37.2% of the population up from a quarter. So <clears throat> those identifying as Muslim, that has uh, rose from 4.9% in 2011 to 6.5% last year. And those, uh, so people were also asked about their ethnic group and na national identity and the responses of which were released in, the, uh, in these results. And uh, um, this, consensus, this uh, census, which is carried out every 10 years by the Office of National Statistics. So taking no religion does not mean having no beliefs, says Professor Linda Woodhead from King's College London. So some will be atheists, a lot will be agnostics. They just say, I don't really know. And some will um, be spiritual and, and be doing spiritual things. So there's a lot of variety of people, and particularly as we are talking about the younger people, uh, <clears throat> they... they uh, Obviously, they they are the ones who are more. They seem to ha to have more interest in religion. And as our one uh, one of the guests said earlier, that uh, she has had personal experience that they they try to explore. Um, they are interested in knowing about what the religion they belong to, and also that they also want to find out. What is uh, you know what other religions? What is what is behind the other religions? And uh, and you have very uh, <clears throat> uh, you have explained about you know a, a thirst of knowledge uh, about in in people's mind about finding out the truth. And this is this is what actually um, uh, is also an evidence that why the Creator has put this inquisitiveness in our minds if if we didn't have a creator then why is that people you know everybody is in search of that one being the one divine who is who is superior who, who might have who has created and again uh, very interestingly the, the holy founder of the Amri muslim community Hazrat Mirza and of Qadian, who, uh, who is the reformer of the time um, the reform of the latter days also called Messiah and Mahdi. Um, uh, so these are different titles he has. Uh, so basically, what he has explained is that there are uh, there there are like two faculties which which have been granted by God Almighty, the Creator, to a human being, and uh, the one uh, faculty is that of having wisdom, having 
um, uh, having mind to think, think about things, asking questions. Uh, and one of the main questions is that if, if there is a creator, how, how come we think about that there should be a creator? So that is a question that, uh, you know, when we, we look upon at the um, creation of uh, the universe, we look at the heavens, we look at the earth, the how, how the stars, how are the, uh, you know, all the uh, heavenly bodies are moving in, in a particular very timely and uh, uh, in a very regular manner, we we think in our mind that, you know, there should be a creator because everything that has been created, if it is so well organized, then there must be some some somebody who has organized it because it can't just happen abruptly and it is it cannot be just um, a sort of theory of uh, just a probability. So, so your mind thinks that they should be a creator and that creator obviously has made some principles according to which this world physically, if this physically it is running, there might be a spiritual world parallel to that, which is also running. And so that creator has also provided us with the second faculty. So the first faculty just takes us to merely a question where you come to a question whether there should be a God, whereas the second faculty is where you experience God. And how you can experience God, uh, the holy founder of the Omnium Muslim community, has written uh, sort of many books, so over 85 books he has written, and particularly the, the two books in which he has explained this phenomenon, he has actually given us a pathway. If we follow that, then we can, we will be able to experience God by communicating with that God. And the one book is called The, the Teachings or uh, uh, The Philosophy of Islam. And the second one is The uh, Philosophy of the Divine Revelation. So both these books, obviously, they mention about the relationship and communication of God with his, his creation, particularly um, his, his, his uh, communication with human beings. And he, what he says is that uh, a human being naturally he possesses uh, a, a means means of or his brain is made in such a way that he has got that means of communication uh, within him some uh, of, of obviously not everybody is equal in that but they have a sort of different levels uh, at which they can communicate with god and they can talk to him they they can listen to him they can um god can communicate with him in, in various means sometimes the words will come onto their their uh, uh, mouth their, in their mind and sometimes they can listen to the voices so these are the various means of communication but this tells and particularly when god almighty tells them uh, and he they the the prophets of god particularly because they communicate very frequently with god almighty and they are given the um, the news of the future and they can be glad tidings, they can be, uh, you know, uh, the news about something, uh, some calamity which it may come. Uh, and and they, these are the signs which they present before God because they are not uh, uh, physically, nobody is able to tell beforehand that this, this, this is going to happen. And they apparently uh, may not be, um, uh, you know, in human possible by, by the, uh, the humans or any, a worldly hand involved in it, but it's only uh, God Almighty who can show it. For example, that he has shown a sign 
that there was a prophecy by the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that, you know, when the reformer of the latter days will come, there will be a uh, moon eclipse and a sun eclipse, and there will be a particular month that is Ramadan, and they will be they will be together in, the, in one month. And then they will be on those particular dates, and they have given that the three days of the sun eclipse they, that will happen on the on the uh, on the second day, and if, and about the moon eclipse it will be on the first night, and and that when exactly that <coughs> happened was prophesied beforehand. Obviously, that tells that there is somebody who gave that news to uh, you know prophet of God. But this is not limited to the prophets. It can be. It can happen because of the makeup, because of the structure. Any human being can communicate with God, but those people who develop, who try to develop that relationship, and there is a particular way, is to follow the commandments of God Almighty. If you follow that, then you can communicate with God Almighty more and more, and you develop that kind of relationship where He is there to support you. He accepts your prayers. He answers to your prayers, and that is where you know our topic today. Is that you know the youngsters, many of the youngsters are suffering from anxiety and they are suffering from um, depressions. And if they have, they develop that kind of relationship with God Almighty, they are going to um, uh, sort of this is going to help them because God will be there to answer their prayers, and they will be satisfied with that. Uh, indeed, you know, God is there and uh, it is ultimately our uh, responsibility to search for him and, you know, find him. And the answer, the, the, the you know, unanswered question will be answered. And, uh, of course, he listens to whom who prays to him. You know, thank you very much uh, for listening uh, to our show today, for joining us uh, uh, today. I would like to thank to our producers as well for today's shows. Um, Faiza Hug and uh, Zainab Fatima uh, to, you know, uh, helping us to produce this show. Similarly, I would like to uh, thank the technical team and uh, uh, thank you for our listeners once again joining us and, uh, you know, getting, uh, getting uh, you know, benefit from this show. Until next time, Assalamu Alaikum. <laughs>